Candice, you told me that you have something on your to-do list. Yes, I am in desperate need of new yoga pants. I got to get over to Target and grab a new pair as soon as I can. Okay. Why is Target your go-to yoga pants supplier? I don't think they're the best yoga pants on earth. However, <laughs> it's easy. I can like do the, the app thing and then just kind of have them drop them into my car on my way yeah, home, yeah. like that whole thing. So it's total convenience, you know, and I can try them on, not like buying them online if I needed to, but mm-hmm. yeah. That's it's it's total laziness. Yeah, I get it. I mean, Target kind of wins in convenience. Yes. yes. They might not win in the like fair trade, organic, sustainable, best planet friendly (laughs) clothing in the world. Right. And one person who knows that sometimes we end up prioritizing the convenience over the planet is Kathleen Goldstein. She owns a boutique in Montrose, which is a neighborhood 10 to 15 miles north of L.A., and all the clothes are made from recycled or natural materials, and the packaging is all biodegradable. Sounds amazing. It's like the minute they hear the word 100% organic cotton, sustainable company, fair wage, fair this, the prices add a couple zeros to it. And I'm trying to bring affordable fashion to our community. Montrose is a small community in, you know, They can't afford $350 for a blouse. My question is, how do I source affordable, sustainable fashion? That's my big question. Where is it in the world? I don't own a boutique, but like a lot of you, I do love seeing those labels, organic cotton and fair trade and sustainability. And I associate that with higher prices because those things take more time, more energy. It's just more. It's one of those things that you can kind of count on the price being higher. So... What is someone supposed to do? This is the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast, your practical, personal guide to protecting the planet. I'm Kaylee Wells, KCRW's climate reporter. And I'm Candace Dickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO at Friends of the L.A. River. I think it's almost impossible to find someone who's against sustainable clothing, right? It's it's the price point that's the barrier. It's not the ideas behind it. It's not the values behind it. It's how much it costs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very fair point. The pricing is everything. And the expert that I reached out to for this story agrees with what you're saying. This is Mathilde Chapai. She founded Sustain Your Style, which is this nonprofit, and their whole thing is they provide sustainable fashion recommendations mm-hmm. and solutions. And so part of her goal is to raise awareness about the unsustainable fashion industry. And it's getting worse. I've actually got some mind-blowing stats to throw at you just to prove that point. Oh, boy. Okay, let's hear them. Okay. So in 1960... The average American household spent about 10% of their income on clothing, Mm -hmm. and they bought about 25 new pieces of clothing every year. Okay. That sounds reasonable. Okay. So now we spend less than half that much, and we buy nearly three times as many clothes. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. Doesn't that hurt your heart? That's not right. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I mean, we talk about sustainable fashion, um, but we can't really talk about that without talking about this concept of fast fashion. Sure. Because as clothes get cheaper and social media becomes more popular, these fashion trends come and go so fast. Mm -hmm. And this idea, this pressure to wear something fresh and new and to be changing out all the time is very real. And so we have to think about that in terms of what does it look like to be fashionable, what does fashion really mean and where do those values come from? Yeah. And and how do you keep up with that pressure or maybe get over that pressure? But companies are trying to keep up with that pressure and they have moved their factories to countries with cheaper labor and maybe those countries have looser rules mm-hmm. on things like safe working conditions right, and environmental right. degradation. 
So now, Shapai says, it's become just about impossible to find clothes without synthetic fossil fuel-based fabrics wow. or that weren't made by people in terrible working conditions. Mm-hmm. It is very challenging to have a, a product made in decent condition, which is going to be the price that we're used to today. And there are companies that are actually doing a pretty decent job providing climate-friendly clothes if you're willing to pay mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. The thing is, it's difficult to find them. Shapai says even she has a hard time figuring out which clothes are actually sustainable. Everyone, every single brand is sustainable. Every single brand has a new collection, which is amazing. And I'm not saying it's not true, but it's very difficult to differentiate which one is is sincere and not. Greenwashing is a serious problem in the fashion industry. And this whole idea of like, this is this is this nice, shiny thing and it's perfectly eco-friendly. Like, right. What do you really mean by that? What right. does that actually mean? Yeah, it's not hard to find a company that says right. we're doing all this cool stuff. Absolutely. The problem is finding the one that is doing all that cool stuff. Yep. So she recommended this website and an app. It's called Good On You. And you can basically look up a brand and it tells you a rating and an explanation mm. for how sustainable the brand is. Um, I actually played around with it. It's really cool. I put uh, Old Navy in there because okay. that was basically my uniform growing up as a child. <laughs> right. I'd have like the same Old Navy polo in six different colors. Yeah. And it got a three out of five rating because they said, well, they've got a good public commitment to reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but okay. they're still not doing so great on their textile waste. Got it. So it's nuanced, this like rating yeah. system. Okay. It's also got like animal products and working conditions. It's got all that stuff. Yeah, this is exactly the sort of thing that we're looking for. We're trying to think of ways to avoid fast fashion or ways to be thinking about um, how we dress ourselves and clothe ourselves Mm -hmm. and our children and our families Um, from a sustainable perspective. There are a few things that we can do. And I would say that my first suggestion would be thrifting, like thrift shopping. The secondhand industry is, is very much a resource to all of us. So it's a big business, too. So it could be a thrift store or it could be some of these higher end places online that will resell very nice, very high quality pieces. And you're getting those for a much better price if the quality is going to uh, maintain itself. And you're not having to go out and buy something brand new and that item is not going to the landfill. Yeah, that was actually one of Shapai's big suggestions, too. There is always a second hand option, which is always a good sustainable option and cheap. Your whole idea of sometimes they're still really nice pieces Mm -hmm. that have just been worn before, that makes me think of Patagonia's whole worn wear line, where you can just buy used clothes that somebody gave them back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe Kathleen could try something similar, where if she needs a more affordable line of sustainable clothing to sell, she can use clothes that have already been worn before. It could be if, uh, if that would be a business model interesting for the shop. I mean, in terms of sustainability, it definitely makes sense. So another really great option is the rental option. This has exploded online these last few years where you have all these great places where you can go and essentially borrow clothes. It's kind of like a clothing library where there's all these different things to choose from and for a particular price every month if it's a subscription system Mm -hmm. or just a set price if it's not. You can get things and bring them home, wear them as many times or as few times if you're one of these people who needs a new outfit for every day of TikTok. uh, (laughs) Right. Uh, Wear them as many or as few times as you like, and then they 
they send you a prepaid bag where you send it back um, and you don't have to worry about this buying and keeping and waste stream that is created from the other way. And you could do this in lots of different ways. I have a friend who uses it for business. Mm. Um, she wants to look great and go to all these different meetings and have a new outfit every single time. So this is a fantastic way to do that. So the outfits come to your house. You try them on, you send them back when you're done and you can just have this continuing rotating wardrobe. Yeah. Or you can do even really fancy things like rent the like runway. Like weddings. Yes. This is huge. Weddings, ball gowns. You have a very fancy event to go to. You're going to spend hundreds, if not a thousand dollars on a really beautiful piece. And what are you going to do with it? If you've been photographed in it or you've gone to this big event in it, it's so much better to get something on a rent the runway sort of place where that one time look fabulous and send it back so someone else can do the same thing. Oh, I totally get this. I'm going to a wedding later this month and have this exact problem where it's formal attire. And yes. so everyone's like, well, I don't have a floor length right, gown. Right. <laughs> I don't want to wear the bridesmaid dress that someone made me wear. It's a terrible mm-hmm, color. Mm-hmm. I totally hear you about wedding season. And yeah. as a mom, this is something that's always on my mind. The kids grow out of their clothes so incredibly fast. Having these different rental companies that are popping up for kids clothing is super important as well. And yeah. Target, you know, we talked about Target earlier. They have this fantastic program where if you're buying their brand, you can bring them back if your kids grow out of them and get a new pair of those jeans or that shirt within that same year. So that's a fantastic like for program. For free. Yeah. It's a wonderful program. A lot of people don't know about it. Wow. Maybe maybe we got to be kinder to Target. We love Target. And finally, I love this idea of thinking about cost per wear. So this is the idea that some pieces are simply investment pieces. You're going to spend more money on them. And it's going to cost more to buy that blouse than it is to buy a blouse from a fast fashion online retailer. But you have to think about, in addition to the price tag, the cost per wear. And you can see... Um, a piece that will last you years and years and years is a better value than a piece you wear for a few weeks or a few months and then have to trash because it's falling apart um, because of the way in which it was made or because it wasn't even meant to be this piece that you wear forever. So the idea is we can better rationalize an, something that's made of a higher, that's being sold at a higher price if we're going to wear it over and over and over and over and over again for years to come. So Maybe it's not so bad to pay a little more if it's something that's going to last you and you're going to be able to use it over and over again. No, that totally makes sense to me. If you're paying $30 for something that you'll wear 10 times Mm -hmm. or you pay $100 for something that you wear 50 times, that is a cheaper thing to wear. It's a cheaper thing to wear. And so returning to our business owner, Kathleen Goldstein, messaging in the store that helps people see that sort of cost Mm -hmm. per wear calculus might make them a little more comfortable when they're looking at what might at first look like some really big, scary upfront price tag. That's right. Is it going to last? That's the question to be asking. Yeah. So, of course, there are people who are in a situation that they have to prioritize that upfront price tag. If you don't have $200 to spend on a jacket, you don't have $200 to spend on a jacket. It doesn't matter if it's a good investment or not. But what I would say to people is you don't have to do this all at once. You don't have to change your entire wardrobe to these really high-quality pieces that are going to last you forever and ever. So I wouldn't worry so much about that. But then I think more than that, there are better and worse ways to do just about everything. So... Even though you may not be in a position where you can afford these investment pieces like we're talking about, you can look at the difference between one company and another company when making any choice about what you're buying and look to see which one is more ecologically friendly. That makes sense to me. It's like that quote that we always hear of, it's better to have a million people trying to do this climate thing imperfectly mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. one person doing it perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
So, okay, our answer to Kathleen's question, how to find sustainable, affordable clothes. Uh, We need to encourage our customers to think about clothes in terms of cost per wear, in terms of the value of the item. That might make them more willing to invest in more expensive, sustainable clothes that will last longer. And then also the most affordable, sustainable clothes are the clothes that already exist. So this is where we try and find things secondhand or in a rental market, for example. Yes. And for our consumers, really researching how your clothing brands are doing on their sustainability efforts, not just how they say they're doing. All right. What's the good news this week? The good news this week is about... Basically, high-tech sailboats. Ooh. So, you know, chances are a good chunk of the clothes in your closet probably came from another country, mm-hmm. and chances are they arrived here on some really big old gas-guzzling boat. <laughs> yes. Well, there are actually a few shipping companies, one of the biggest ones right now is Cargill Ocean Transportation, mm-hmm. that are experimenting with wind-powered cargo ships, wow. which is kind of a fancy way of saying... Big fat sailboats. Okay, so which, sales, like yeah, full on sales. It's one of the yeah. They're I mean they're really big old high tech sales. Wow. It's different than you know hundreds of years ago. Yeah. Uh, because also remember <laughs> that these are like really really massive, mm-hmm. really heavy mm-hmm. vessels. Yes. <laughs> um, but it really is still just using wind to move something, uh, and they say that this is reducing the ship's fossil fuel use by about thirty percent. Wow. Okay. Pretty significant. One ship went from Singapore to Brazil, so mm-hmm. we've already seen it work there. Mm-hmm. And we're already starting to see ships in China and Japan pop up with similar tech. That actually is really good news, especially when you're talking about all the things that come across on these ships. That That's huge. Yeah, it's a big dent. I love it. That's it this week on the Anti-Dread Climate Podcast. If you haven't, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. We've got a newsletter that will have our advice every week. The place to subscribe to that or to ask us a question is at kcrw.com slash climate. Next week, we've got to talk about one of the biggest sources of our personal carbon emissions. Yeah, I'm wondering how much cutting back and driving can make a difference on climate change. Like, will my tiny little Honda Civic make a big difference? I'm Candace Dickens-Russell, environmental educator and CEO at Friends of the LA River. I'm Kaylee Wells, the climate reporter at KCRW. Our executive producer is Sonia Geis. Our production assistant is Celine Mendiola. Our technical director is John Meek. Music by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. The Anti-Dread Climate Podcast is a KCRW production. 